Thank you for coming uh, to the second service here. We had the first service down at the lake. I know some of you are wondering uh, how many people were there. I, I, I counted, rough count, a billion, a billion were there. Um, no, it was, uh, it was pretty fun. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, the people everywhere. I don't know if uh, people were just waiting for a hot dog or if they were coming to church, but I counted them anyways, you know. Uh, so it's great, great day. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. Um, this is my uh, July 3rd message uh, as we think about our country and where we are. Uh, I think that as you think about the history of the United States, and some of you are history buffs, and uh, I am not, I'm not. I, I, I took those classes in, in school, and um, you know, I did what I had to. And then, uh, but as I think about the history of the United States, you know, you have, uh, we celebrated Thanksgiving, those early settlers coming and that God took care of them and provided for them that they would be established. And, but where did they come from? Uh, what, you know, maybe even more importantly than where they came from is why, why did they come? Uh, you, you think about what it is to leave your home to go uh, to a place you've never seen before. And I, I think about that, and uh, that, that must be pretty compelling, right? There must be something behind you that's really pushing you to do such things. Um, but the original settlers came because they felt like there was going to be freedom and a better life for them. Uh, and whatever they were leaving behind wasn't worth what they anticipated, what was ahead you think about our, our country and our history, the Revolutionary War. And the Revolutionary War, um, you know, why was that fought? Uh, because people didn't want to drink tea, right? They wanted to drink coffee. Um, they didn't want to have a king. Uh, they wanted to be, have no king uh, that we'd figure it out on our own. And they traded a king for the Declaration of Independence. And uh, when we, we use that word... Uh, Independence Day, I, I can't think of a word that epitomizes more uh, who we are as people in the United States is independent. We want to do our own thing. And maybe uh, people in Tehachapi want to do their own thing more than other people too because uh, uh, we're just that way up here. I don't know. Um, so this, uh, this whole idea of independence and then later our Constitution. And it, it's interesting for me that we didn't trade a king, uh, a king for another king. We traded a king for uh, a, a couple of documents, actually. And uh, we're still struggling with that, even though we have presidents over and over again that uh, think they're kings. Um, and so we can't get far, far enough from that idea of king, uh, king over. I realized, too, that uh, the, the whole idea of an immigrant, uh, many, uh, many people are immigrants in the United States today, they've come from a different place. Uh, my dad was an immigrant, and I grew up uh, really my whole life. I, I remember hearing stories of uh, them leaving the farm in Germany. And, and know that, that they were just a simple family, uh, like many other families. And it was the same thing, that they felt like they were leaving nothing behind because they didn't feel like the life that they had was a good one. And they would rather risk... And because they were hoping to trade up. They were hoping to trade up. Um, 
Some of you are like that too. You're transplants, right? Yeah. You've moved from that place to this place, right? You didn't want to drive on the 405 freeway anymore. You wanted to drive on the 58. You preferred, uh, you know, 18-wheelers to other cars and other people. So uh, you're fighting those things. I know this, that, you know, we're all transplants from somewhere. It's good. It's good. So anyways, um, as I think about this, there's this idea that we are searching. We're searching for a better king or a better kingdom. We're, we're searching and we're, we're looking and we're saying, hey, there's something I'm missing. There's something got to be better. And I, I've watched people over the years here in Tehachapi and uh, they've moved from someplace else. They've moved here. And then even some have moved from there to here and then to someplace else. And I know that there's always this thought in our mind that there's got to be something better. There's got to be a place where everything's going to be okay. And we're searching. I want to tell you that this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about searching for a new king. And, and when I say a new king or queen, whatever the case may be, some of you are saying, oh, I'm not looking for anybody to tell me what to do. I'm looking to be the king. I'm looking to be the queen. I'm looking to be independent and in charge of my own life. It's interesting, though. What happens when you're in charge? You mess it up. You, you know, that's the worst thing about when you did it yourself it's that you did it yourself. And like you're looking for someone to blame for the mess of your life and you go, oh, who's, who's, where, oh, it's me. It's me. It's the one in the mirror. And so this morning, we're really going to be talking about who is your king and where is your kingdom. And I want to tell you spiritually, I just want to warn you about this, that, that, that Satan has a desire in that as well. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care where your king, who your king is and who your, where your kingdom is. He doesn't care as long as it's not Jesus. He doesn't care. He just wants to make sure that it's not Jesus. I shared with you we're going to look at the uh, book of Revelation chapter 19 this morning. And just an intro to the book of Revelation. Some of you are going, he's talking about Revelation on July 3rd? Yeah, it goes right, perfectly connects, you know, really, in my mind. Um, so uh, the book of Revelation, you, you know, that that's the last book, right? And it's a book about the end, right? If you look at the book of Revelation, you see in chapter 2 and 3, talking about the church and then the, the future chapters are talking about really the the things coming together in the end, really the seven years and the, uh, the completion of God's plan for the earth. As you see this, you realize it's a plan for the nations, but also a plan for his people, the Jews. And where we're at today is really the last, the seventh bold judgment. Um, and so we're going to look at that real briefly, seeing some things this morning uh, of what God wants us to see. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. God's word says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it uh, is called Faithful and True. 
And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, uh, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread them, uh, tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God, thank you for this morning and each one here. Thank you for your word, its direction. Thank you for sharing with us what is going to happen in the future. May we gain great confidence and may we acknowledge the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Who is the writer? That's really what we're going to be talking about this morning. Who is the writer? Uh... This passage is about what's going to happen, and it doesn't say Jesus, but it is. Uh, It doesn't say Jesus, but it is. And we're going to look at this morning the other names or the other identifications that this passage tells us about the rider on the white horse. As you see in verse 11, uh, you see the heaven opening, the heaven opening. If you could picture this, and uh, I know it seems a little Marvel-like or uh, you know, cartoons and stuff like this because it's stuff we've never seen. But you see the heavens open and a white horse uh, coming from the heavens. And we're supposed to focus on this white horse and not just the white horse, but the one sitting on it. And so we're looking, who is the one sitting on the horse? What is, what is he all about? We find four things, four names, if you will, or identifications uh, for the one on the horse. The first one is faithful and true says, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. What I want to tell you is this is the second coming of Christ. What was the first coming of Christ? Baby, right? The baby. And he came, and it was kind of confusing, and it is kind of confusing for all of history, that he came as a baby, Right? You think of the king coming and Herod didn't like him and wanted to have him killed. And there were others that they just, they just hated him. Why? Because he was the baby king that had come. But in humility, not in a, a, a lavish family that had plenty of money. It wasn't red carpets. It was just simple. And he came as a baby and he gave himself and the lamb. And even referred to in the book of Revelation as the lamb who was slain. But now... You see, he came as a baby, uh, but now he comes as one on the, he's the rider of the white horse. This is not the same as you think about him coming for his church, right? Uh, he comes down from heaven, uh, if, as it says in First Thessalonians, meet him in the air. They'll meet him in the air. And so there's a distinction there. This second coming of Christ is different. 
And it's a call to look to the white horse. And you even think about that as he, any animals that you can think of that first round, he came, walked, strolling into the city in a, on a donkey, right? There was a sense of like sim- simplicity. And now it's this white horse. A white horse um, many times was the identifier of the leader or the ruler, uh, the conquering ruler, uh, the white horse. You think of this beautiful picture and, and the idea of a white horse, too, the leader coming in, many times as they have conquered, they would have a parade and uh, the, the king would be a part of that parade and really a leader. And as the parade would come, both with captives and with those who are part of the victory, celebrating the victory that is to come. And so there's a picture here for sure of what is to come in this second coming. But who is the one sitting on the horse? Who is the one? Well, he's identified as faithful and true. Faithful and true. You think about those two words, and uh, they've been used over and over again in the scriptures to speak of the character of God, of him being faithful and true. And as you think about this passage at this time in this place of history, all the promises that Jesus gave, and he said, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. You, You think about all that he was uh, all that was wrong in the world when he came, or before and today, all the things that are wrong. And that he said he's coming back, and there's a sense of things left undone. But it says that he is faithful and true. He's trustworthy to fulfill his promises. I want to tell you, uh, that there's plenty of days where it seems like he's taking too long. He's not. He's not. But it feels that way for us, right? But life is getting too long. Life is too hard. Uh, the news is too bad. My, my struggles are too many. And I, I'm fearful. And I, you say, when is the Lord going to make this right? Well, I want to tell you, the one riding on the horse is faithful, trustworthy to fulfill his promises. It, it says faithful, but he's also true. As you think about the one who is true, uh, in the Old Testament, we heard of the Messiah that was to come, to be the Savior. And then we saw in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that Jesus came to fulfill that role. Well, he still remains the one true Messiah, the one that is the Savior, and so he is faithful and true. It doesn't just tell us this identification by name, but he also says what he's going to do. And I I think this is important to point out. It's not uh, the main point of my message today, but it it says in verse 11, faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. When you hear the word war, is war a good thing or a bad thing? It's bad. It's bad. And, and you would say that because you've studied history or you, you know what happens. And even now you think about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and that area. And you say, oh, it's bad. I wish it would just stop. But there's two sides, right? And they're saying, I think this. And the other side says, no, you can't do that. And so there's a fight going on. There's a war. But it's not a war of righteousness. It's just a war of kings and kingdoms. It's a a war of two sides. And the one who wins is the one who's the strongest, right? 
And that's the way it happens here, right? There, there's this uh, strategic and, and strength and going back and forth. And you look at this over and over again. This is wars over and over again like this. But what I'm pointing to you right now is something totally different. Totally different. The rider on the white horse is coming. He's faithful and true. And what's he going to do? He's going to judge and make, make war. When we hear those two words, judge and make war, we're like, oh, nobody should judge. Nobody should make war. I want to tell you, he's the only one who can. It's been coming for a long time. A long time. That sin has continued. And now this one who rides on the white horse, he's coming not as a lamb king, but as a warrior king. He comes to make war. And, and in this war, a righteous war, not a, not a selfish war, not a, a war of uh, riches and lands and uh, this idea of conquest. It is a war to make things right. This is what he's coming to do. Second name, verse 12. And we won't spend a lot of time on this for obvious reasons. Verse 12 says this, his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Describes him as this powerful king and then it says he has this other name that no one knows. What is the name? No one knows. That's what it says. And so we don't know either. It seems as though uh, there is other description that maybe in, in the heavens we will be able to understand about Jesus. I want to tell you this, that, that as we consider who Christ is, we get to know that which he allows us to know. And he's great, much greater, much greater than we can understand. So we have two, uh, a name which no one knows. The, the third name, verse 13, says this, he is clothed in a robe dipped uh, in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Uh, the Apostle John wrote this. He also wrote John, First, Second, Third John. And as we think about John chapter one, you see John chapter one is this amazing passage that speaks of of God wanting God the Father wanting to reveal Himself, and so He sent His Son, not just a Son that would kind of be a king from afar, but one that would come and be with us, with us, and him being referred to as the word. And so we're reminded again that Jesus is the revelation of the Father in the Son, the word of God. God wanted to tell us about himself, and so he sent his Son to earth. Which brings us to the fourth identification Verse 14 says this, And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And so this is the picture. You have the one white horse, the significant one, the rider on it, faithful and true. It's got this other name that nobody knows other than him. And now it it comes, him being the word of God, and now it comes behind him or following him from heaven, others. Uh, the armies uh, that come from heaven. Well, what are these armies? Well, we don't exactly know. It's not clarified for us here, but they probably can only be two uh, different options here. They're either angelic beings 
that are coming and being a part of what Christ is doing. Or secondly, they could be his church or parts of his church as they come. Those saved saints who are already in heaven uh, following him. I think it's interesting too that it doesn't describe them with swords and spears. It just describes them as armies behind. And I, I want to point something out that it's not that the, uh, the king of kings, the lord of lords, that he needs armies. Uh, he's never needed us for anything. And yet somehow, most likely, this is parts of his church or his church together coming. And that this idea that we are a part of uh, this amazing victory that is to come. It says this in verse 15. And this is part of what he is doing. I, I want you to get this. It's very important. What is Jesus doing? What is this one on the white horse doing that is faithful and true? It says, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Strike down the nations. What nations is he talking about there? What what are they? Well, we don't know, right? Did you know that nations kind of come and go? It's kind of interesting. That's part of studying history where you see boundaries change. There might be boundaries changing right now. Uh, There there might be uh, countries that we used to think of as this becoming smaller or bigger. Uh, We we might think about, you know, how these things are together. And some of us, we can't fathom that. We think about even the United States and we say, oh, the United States is going to be like this forever. Is it? I don't know. Um, yeah, depending on who you listen to, there's plenty of crazy things out there right now, right? And so as you think about this, um, you know what he's talking about here, the nations? I think he's talking about China and India. I think he's talking about Saudi Arabia. I think he's talking about Germany. I think he's talking about Russia. I think he's talking about Iran. I think he's talking about the United States, the nations. And, and you say, well, aren't we, the good, aren't we on the good team? I don't know, are we? Have we acknowledged the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? We're going to get there. But, but know this, that any kingdom, any kingdom or any king that does not acknowledge the one true king. He is not a leader that should be followed. And he is not part of a kingdom that will stand. How's that for a July 4th, 3rd message? May the 3rd be with you. Um, He's coming to strike down the nations. He's coming to strike down the nations. He goes on to say, uh, verse 15, he says, uh, strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Who will rule? You, you think about this and, and you think, uh, well, the one most powerful will rule. And you start saying, well, which, which country will that be? Which ruler will that be? And you kind of say, well, this ruler's big, you know, and they have this and they have this, you know, and you start playing it out. You, you start wargaming it, right? Who's going to win? I want to tell you who's going to win. 
And in the end, after he strikes them down, he will rule. He will be in charge. There will be none that will be able to stand against him. The second coming of Christ. This is what it is. This is what it's all about. And you say, well, maybe some of you have wondered. You've seen events in the world. You've seen wickedness and things that have gone on. And you go, I just don't know why Jesus doesn't do something about it. I want to tell you, he's going to. He is going to. This will happen. And even if you don't believe the Bible, it still is going to happen. <laughs> I always think that's funny. We, we uh, are so used to being independent and kind of having a vote, right? And so often people will say, well, I don't believe that. And I want to say, oh, okay. Just because you don't believe the Bible doesn't mean it's not true. You can not acknowledge Jesus doesn't mean he's not real. You can say that you haven't been created doesn't mean you weren't. Like, like you can have your own ideas, but that doesn't mean they're right. As we look at this, we hear from God and he says, my son is coming. He, he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with a, a rod of iron. And then it goes on to say, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And God's anger and wrath will finally be poured out on the people, the inhabitants of this earth. Which brings us to verse 16, and this is the reason I wanted to talk about this today. So Christ comes on the white horse, brings the anger of God. He crushes the anti-God forces. He's patient no longer. And as we look at this, that all kingdom, all kings and all kingdoms that do not acknowledge Jesus, they're against him, they're his enemies, they will be crushed. And it says this, John writes this under the inspiration of God, he says, and the last identification on this rider of the white horse, it says, on his robe and on his thigh, identifying him as he's on his horse, what is it? It says his name is written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This idea of uh, saying it twice, king of kings, lord of lords. This idea of king of kings means it's, it's a boasting that people would do of their homeland, right? They would say of their king, they would say, of all the kings in all the world, he's the king over all. Now, we do this. There's great nationalism. I love the United States. Don't, don't ever confuse me with someone who's saying, yeah, we're just okay. Don't, don't ever confuse that. Love this country. Uh, flags and stuff like that. I, you know, I'll eat blueberries and strawberries on cake and stuff like that. This is a big deal, right? I love it. I love this country. But, but know this, that when you brag about your king and your kingdom, down here, it's only in comparison to the other ones. And you're always comparing. And you think about what was true in the Bible when this was being written. John was on the island of Patmos. that uh, He was, you know, incarcerated, basically. And Roman Empire was huge. Caesar was the king above. And, and, and as you think of Caesar, the Caesars, all of them, uh, I want to tell you that they were a big deal. We have no world power like the Caesars right now. And they were truly over the whole world. 
It's not that every territory that they had control, but over the known big parts of the world, it was, it was the Caesars. Rome was in charge. And John is thinking about Caesar, Rome, Isle of Patmos, and he's looking forward to another day. And what does he say? But the, the, the white horse is coming, the rider on that horse, and, and what, will, what is he called, what is he identified, inscribed on him? King of kings, Lord of lords. There's no other king, there's no other ruler. Forever and ever, he will be the victorious king. The victorious king. This morning, though, why I wanted to share this with you is we're still swapping out presidents, aren't we? <laughs> Looking for a new governor? Anybody can apply. Anybody. Um, you know, we're looking for a new homeland, you know, moving from there to here. This place gets bad, we'll look for another place. We'll kind of fumble around, just as my dad's family did. Just they, they, they left one place and went to another, and that's fine. That's fine. But know this, where's it all going to end? All of it. What is going to be the last phase? I want to tell you that the last piece of this is this. Jesus will come again and he will be acknowledged as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. My encouragement to us now is this, that we would acknowledge him to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords of us willingly today. Sadly, uh, some of you will hear a message like this and you say, ah, I'm kind of an independent type. I kind of I do my own thing. Oh, so you're your own king. Or maybe others of you will go, yeah, I made a mess of things. I I need another king, but I want someone who just give me what I want. I want someone like Jesus who's going to do what he wants for me. I want to tell you, you must be still looking for another king or another kingdom. I hope that you turn to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of this country and just all, all the benefits that we have because of you, your kindness to us, your grace, your mercy. Uh, it is because of your mercy, not because we deserved it. God, we ask that you would make us a church that is constantly acknowledging Christ in all. That we would not be a, a church of kings and queens doing our own thing or looking for something new and exciting when we already have the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, thank you for giving us your son, the lamb who was slain, the warrior king that is coming. It's in his name we pray, amen.